Don't you love seeing kids get baptized? Man, I love that. I've never come up here right after I got done yelling and screaming and jumping and playing with the kids, so I'm a little out of breath. But man, it, I love that. I'm excited for Brody and the journey ahead of him with Jesus. Uh, if you're a believer and you've been a believer some time, you know that that journey coming up for him can be up and down. Uh, you know that you need uh, people, people around you. Keep going. People around you to support you as you grow up in Christ. I pray that our church family, this heritage family, will be that for Brody. So, um, and also it makes it the perfect Sunday to start this gospel family sermon series. Just so happens, right? So, a gospel family is just that. It's a family that keeps the gospel. And just so we're not assuming that we all know what the gospel is, the gospel is that what? That Jesus came, that he died, that he rose from the dead, that he appeared to others, that he ascended back to heaven, that he is currently seated at the right hand of the Father. Man, that's great news for sinful people. I mean, unless you think you're perfect today, that's good news for all of us. And so a family is that. It's a family that keeps that gospel message at the center of everything they do. They keep the gospel message at the center of all their decision-making. I love what Brody said in his video. He goes, it just means you don't get to just decide whatever you want to do. you got to talk to Jesus first. I love when he said that. You don't just go around making decisions on your own. <laughs> How ridiculous does that sound when you trust Jesus? Okay, he gets it. Maybe us adults need to get that, right? It's the kind of family that puts the gospel message at the center of their priorities, center of how we do things and, and how we spend our time and our finances. So that's what I talk about when I say gospel family. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some specific things that a gospel family does together, okay? And then on Saturday, September 28th, Sid, I tell you, my brother is going to be here, Johnny. He literally wrote the book on gospel family, okay? And I want you to not miss that parenting workshop that Saturday morning. I think we're starting at like 9 a.m., so that's not that early. Get here. We're serving Chick-fil-A, seven bucks. You don't even have to go get it. We'll bring it here, and, and it's going to be fantastic time. And then he will wrap up this sermon series that Sunday, the 29th, okay? So don't miss out on that weekend. Jim, I'm still kind of like booming stuff. I don't know. Um, well, it's, some, it's somewhere. Not me, like the, my voice. Anyways, the sermon title for today is The Gospel Family Worships Together. So this first thing that we're going to talk about that a gospel family specifically does together is that a gospel family worships together. And our key passage is found in Joshua chapter 24. So go ahead and take your Bibles out. I really hope you brought them. The book of Joshua is, is early on in the Bible in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, okay, sixth book of the Bible, early on, and chapter 24 is the last chapter of the book of Joshua, so turn with me, and what we're going to read, and if you'll be patient with me, I'm going to read almost the whole chapter this morning for you, um, our focal passage will be a couple of verses in there that I think will sound familiar to you. But what we're reading about, so I can set the stage for you about what's going on, is a covenant renewal ceremony. This wasn't just kind of like a Joshua talking to the people in a casual conversation. Okay, this was a serious thing that happened here in chapter 24. So, so let me read to, to you, and you read with me, okay, Joshua 24. And I'm going to go all the way from verse 1 to 28. We're going to leave off the end, which is 
um, Joshua's death and burial. But for our purposes today, we're going to take this whole thing. Verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. This is important. If you find in Genesis chapter 12, when God originally called Abram, he kind of walked him through all of the land, and he actually stopped him at Shechem when he made his first promise about giving him and his family the land. And here they are again at Shechem, the same place where God originally made that promise, and they're going to have this kind of covenant renewal. So he gathered all the tribes to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. They presented themselves before God. This is serious stuff. So they brought the ark out, okay? They're wearing all the right stuff. They've done all the right washes, and they're presenting themselves before God because this isn't just a casual conversation. And Joshua said to all the people, he addresses everybody, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Do you notice how he was saying them, they, and now he starts to say you. He's, he's saying some of you guys that are here today, you actually, you were little kids when some of this stuff started to happen. You've seen what God did. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you. I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land. I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he ended up blessing you. You remember that story? That's a great story. You should go back and read that. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites... I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword and your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. Familiar passage to you probably. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river. Put away forever, completely, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, 
we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You're not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions of your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, Okay, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. So he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words the Lord he has spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Can we pray? Father, you are a great God. You are almighty God. We thank you for your word. Teach us what we don't know. We rely on your spirit to work in our hearts today. Make us the type of people that would put away all of the things aside and worship the one true God. We want you to be honored in our time today, Father. Amen. This is a, some serious stuff going on, Joshua 24. I mean, I've never personally been a part of something that happened like that. But God is reminding the people of Israel all that he had done for them. He's saying, look, it wasn't you. Sometimes we forget the things that God's done in our lives. We begin to look back at our past and say, man, I've accomplished a lot, forgetting that it wasn't us in our power, but God doing those things. We know that the Israelites fought with these other nations, swords and things like that, and God goes, it wasn't your sword. <laughs> He's not saying they didn't use swords. He's saying your swords were worthless. The only reason you won, the only reason you have the land you have, the only reason that the people I told you would end up leaving because of me, they are all gone because of me. I did that. I went back in my Bible and I started underlining all the times that it said I did something. God was on. I took, I gave, I gave, I plagued, I brought, he put, I brought, I destroyed. God did that, and he wanted to remind them all he has done for them. I love that old hymn, right? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Man, we should do that more often. We're so quickly to forget all that he's accomplished in our lives. And then we get to this very familiar passage, and this is our key of few verses here today. Verse 14 and Joshua looks at all the people of Israel and says, Now, therefore, because of all that God has done. And he took them all the way back to the beginning. He didn't even just say a few things. I mean, he took them all the way back to Abram's father. He says, Because of all of that, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods your fathers served. Put away. Put away completely. Put away forever. After all that God had done, even after he had given them this land of these other foreign nations, 
rather than completely obeying and living for him, the people of Israel, they had been attracted to some of the gods, the false gods of these nations that they had conquered in the name of God. I mean, a lot of good those guys did them. And yet for some reason, here they are in this meeting, and he, Joshua's having to tell them, put them away. They're still holding on to some of those. They wanted to worship God, but they wanted to hold on to some of these other foreign gods too. He's saying, do you not remember what God did? Put away the gods your father served beyond the river. Serve the Lord. I love this. I have to admit that there are often times at night when Brooke and I uh, get ready to fall asleep. We fall asleep watching this show. Y'all ever do that? Netflix? We watched a show called Blue Bloods. Anybody ever watched that? It's got Magnum P.I. and that guy from the New Kids on the Block. Um, it's great. It's a cop show. Okay? Magnum P.I. He's the police chief. And... His name is Frank, and he's the all-wise guy. You know, the father and the family. He, he always has great answers for everything. Anyways, there's this episode, and it starts with Frank, the, the main way, wise guy and, and father of the family, having ice cream with his granddaughter, Nikki. And Nikki has invited him to go get ice cream because she needs advice, okay, from her granddad. So anyways, they start talking, and she begins to share... Her, whatever her problem was, and her phone gets a text message, and she, 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 she grabs it, she's, and he goes, turn that thing off. And she, well, what if it's important? He just says, choose. Okay, and like any teenager, she reluctantly puts it down, you know, and so she keeps talking for a second, and then she's like, well, what if it's important? He goes, choose. One word, choose. That's what Joshua was saying to the people of Israel. They're going, just choose. They're, I know you think that's important. I know you think this thing is attractive. I know you think that thing right there satisfies you. Choose. Choose. God is not going to compete with those things for your worship. He's not going to do it. He's God. He's not interested in, in getting a portion of your worship while you give a portion to money or popularity or success or lust or whatever it is that is your God that you're holding on to, those foreign gods that are completely worthless. He's not going to do it. Jesus said the same thing in the New Testament. He said, you cannot serve two masters. He said, if you have another God, that God is your master. Man, we think sometimes we can have little gods and control them. No, Jesus said, if you have another God, you're his servant. God doesn't compete with other gods. He's the only one true God. It's called idolatry. Okay? It's called breaking the first commandment. It's also called stupid. Um, because when we put our hope... I didn't mean for that to be funny. It's stupid. When we put our hope and our reliance and our dependence on anything or anyone other than God, that thing or that someone is going to let us down. It cannot deliver us. It cannot save us. It cannot fix our number one major problem that we have in the human life is that we are sinners separated from God and in need of grace. Other gods can make you have warm feelings. They can satisfy you for a time. They can make you feel good about yourself. But let me remind you that as you're chasing your feelings and worshiping other people and other things, God's not going to compete with that. That's what Joshua's telling him. He's like, look, if you end up choosing these other gods... 
Good luck with that. Because even though God's done you good in the past, he won't compete with other gods. He doesn't have to. He created those other gods that you call gods. He's the creator. Everything else is the creation. Okay, two categories in all the world. Like if I could just take up the whole screen and just write the word God, and then like over here, past that little line, if I just put everything else, I would still be wrong because I would still have given everything else too much space. God, everything else. Are you with me? He's the creator. Everything else is creation. And he will not compete with those things or those people for your worship. And there will be consequences for anyone who chooses to worship the created things of this world rather than the creator himself. Did you hear that? There will be consequences for people that worship any part of creation rather than the creator himself. So worship then, just like him laying out all that he has accomplished for them on their behalf, reminding them of what he's done. Worship then is in response to what God has done. We worship God because of what he's done. We worship God because of who he is. Okay? Period. So you say, well, a gospel family worships together. What does that look like then? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't look like. Psalm 150, and I didn't put this up there, so you're just going to have to trust that I said it right if you didn't bring your own Bible. So open to Psalm 50 real quick and look at verse 8 just so you can make sure that it's actually there. This is God telling us what's not acceptable worship. In verse 8, he says, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field, it's mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Worship is about total commitment to God. Total commitment to God. Worship isn't about the outward actions that we do in our worship. God goes, I, yeah, I put in place the sacrifice system. Not because I needed those things that you brought but because when you brought them, you were showing me your total commitment to me. Do you see the difference? God goes, if I'm hungry, I don't need you to bring a bull. <laughs> it's not like he goes, oh, man, look what this guy brought. Angels, strike up the grill. Four minutes on this side, four minutes on that, and we're good. <laughs> he goes, I, I own, <laughs> don't start. <laughs> I, I own everything. If I was hungry, I wouldn't choose your bull. You know, like I got food somewhere else that I could probably get. Same thing on Sunday morning. It's not like he goes, oh, guys, I can't believe they chose that Chris Tomlin song. This is my jam. This, I'm so excited that they're worshiping me in this way. If he wanted someone to sing to him, he's got angels that sing way better than any of y'all that will sing. It's not because he needs our sacrifices. Okay? It's not because he needs that. It's about us doing those things to show that we are totally committed to the one true God. 
The only way to properly worship the one true God is to give Him 100% of all that you are. Listen to me say that again. The only way to properly worship the one true God is to give Him 100% of who you are. If you are worshiping currently by giving God 85% of who you are, then you are committing idolatry. Whatever that thing or whoever that person is that's getting 15% of your worship, God is saying to you, choose. Oh, but it's important, choose. It makes me feel good, choose. Because I ain't got to do both things. You can't serve two masters. Choose. He will not compete with those things for your worship. Family leaders, listen to me. Family leaders, you make this choice for your family. You hear what Joshua said? As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. My kids didn't choose what town we live in. My kids, they don't choose how we do our budget. And my kids sure as heck are not going to choose what God we worship. I am the family leader. And for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And when they're 18, 19, or whatever age adulthood starts these days, and they leave, they will make that decision for their family. Are you with me? Your kids don't get to choose whether or not you're going to worship as a family. You make that choice. So if you don't do it, it's on you. It's not because your kids are busy. So what does it look like for your family to worship the Lord together? Practically speaking, let me give you three things. The gospel family worships together by praising God together. One of my favorite ways of worship. Now, I tell you guys all the time, we kind of get confused about our wording sometimes. We say, oh, we're going to worship and then we're going to preach. Well, no. We worship through music and then we worship through the Word. And then Monday morning we worship through work. It's not like worship is this 20 minutes that we gave Melvin today. No. However, one of my favorite ways of worshiping is praising God together. The book of Hebrews is one of my favorite books. In chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more. As you see the day drawing near, one of the ways we praise God together is by joining a church family in worship on Sunday mornings. Sometimes we even go Sunday nights. I know that's crazy. Wednesday nights. We, we get together, not because we like the new chairs we chose, but because together as a church family, when we praise God together, man, he likes that. Even if you're not a good singer, he likes that. We praise him together. And that's one of the ways we worship as a family. We don't give the kids a choice whether or not they come with us. They come. We praise together. I love Sunday mornings. Man, I'm tired of yelling right now because we just got done singing Happy Day over there. Is there anything better than a bunch of kids talking about the best day in history was the day Jesus rose from the dead? That's exciting. I love that. We, we praise Him together. A gospel family worships together by praising God together. Be invested in a church family so you can praise Him with others. Praise Him together at home. Man, we all got Pandora and iTunes. If you can't play the piano or the guitar or whatever, play some music. Praise Him together. Sing. To be honest, if you got little kids, those are probably the songs we should be singing more anytime anyways. Jesus loves me. This I know. 
for the Bible tells me so. Man, that's great. Half the people in the world are out there trying to tell me that it doesn't matter that the Bible tells me so. That I got to figure out some other way to know about things are true or not. No, I want my kids to know if the Bible says it, it's true. And if you don't understand it, you're the one that needs to change, not the Bible. Okay? So sing those kids' songs. If you got teenagers, we probably should sing those kids' songs even more often. <laughs> Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. Are you kidding me? Man, everybody sing that. We'd have so many less problems in this country. One human race. Okay, the Bible says that Eve is the, the mother of all, of all people. That must mean there's one race, just people. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Sing them. Praise them together at home. Praise them together in the car. Praise them together on the way to church. Don't fight all the way here and then get out and pretend like everything's good. If you'll turn the music on before they get in the car, it'll be a joyful, praising ride all the way here. Okay, number two. I didn't mean to be so funny today. I really think this is serious. Number two. A gospel family gives back to God together. Yeah, I'm going to talk about your money. Oh, number two. I skipped one. Serving God together. Back up. Can we cut that later? Can't cut it live, but I'll cut it later. Okay. <laughs> Number two. A gospel family serves God together. I love my church family here at Heritage because we give you the opportunity to do that. Brooke serving in children today. Ainsley serving in children today. Braxton punching the computer today. Everybody see Braxton? I can't even see your head, man. There you are. I love that. Daddy talking. Serve God together. We got people all over this building serving in children's ministry, serving in missions ministry on Wednesday night, serving in student ministry, serving it beyond the walls. Serve together. Man, you want to teach your kid how to not think about themselves and think about others. Instead, make them serve. Not just you doing chores. I mean, that's good too, but make them serve other people. Make them serve. Take them on mission together. I love the stories of when we send people on mission together and they take their kids. Well, they come back, life has changed. Life has changed. Ainsley went to Haiti a couple of years ago. This summer at camp, she stands up, tells everybody she feels God's calling her to be a missionary somewhere with a foreign language. She's 13 years old. I guarantee you the trip that they took to Haiti had a part of that. I guarantee you the mission trip that we spent in Poland for a month one summer, which cost me a fortune, I guarantee you it was all worth it because of her decision. Take your kids on mission. Go. Get out of that comfort zone. I love that Dan's going to serve. I love that his boys were up here praying for him before he leaves. Gospel family serves God together. Number three, a gospel family gives back to God together. God doesn't need the sacrifice. He says, I, I, I own all the gold in the world. I, I own it. Not to mention that I'm not interested in buying anything that y'all want to buy. I, I got everything. I got it. I'm God. Doesn't mean we don't give. It means we give and we give sacrificially and we give first because it shows our total commitment to God. In the same way that in the Old Testament they would bring that first bull. Of course. It, how many times in the Old Testament does it say unblemished? Of course the guy could have said, man, I could really use that one this month. 
I bet we could sell that for some good money. No, they bring it because if they don't, they're showing that they're not totally committed to God. When you decide, man, I've been working my tail off and we deserve that we can get away. And if we wouldn't give just this one month, we could have it. You are showing God that you are worshiping that we can get away rather than him. It's not about giving your money to the church. It's not about whether or not we have money to turn on the lights and do the things that we do. It's about showing that you are totally committed to God. Let me tell you how it works. You figure out how much money you make. You take 10% of that, divide it by whatever, 52 weeks, and you just give it. Now, I will say you do it together. So you sit down with your kids. And rather than the family leader just doing it and no one know that you're doing it, you go, hey, kids, this is what we give. We figure out mommy and daddy make this much money, 10% of that. It's a great math lesson. Is this... We're going to divide that, and, and, and every Friday we're going to make sure that the bank automatically sends it because I'm afraid that if I have to do it and put it in the box, I might keep it back for myself on the weekends where I know we got birthdays coming up and stuff like that. So I'll make it automatic. But I'm going to tell everybody about it. This is what we're going to do. When it's time at Christmas to give the Lottie Moon offering, we're not going to quit giving our tithe. We're going to sit down at our table, and we're going to talk about Willie and Emily in India and how much we love them and their kids and how much they sacrificed in order to live in a place of complete darkness so that as many people as, as possible will know the name of Jesus. We're talking about Jeremy and Susan and their kids in Africa. Same thing. And we're going to say, I know that Christmas is coming up in four weeks, and I know everybody's got a list, but I wonder what we could sacrifice on our part since they sacrificed and so, so much that we could give to Lottie Moon in order to support our IMB missionaries. We're going to pray about it. We're going to come up with a dollar amount. We're going to put it in that box thing. Gospel families give sacrificially to God together. Don't keep it a secret what you do. Renew your commitment today. See, it blows my mind that the Israelites had seen all that they had seen. I mean, that's 13 verses of unbelievable miracles God had done on their behalf. Okay? And you might say, you know what? If I had crossed the Red Sea, turned around, and see Pharaoh and his buds get wiped out, I would be totally committed to God. Can I remind you, he took you from certain death with no possible way, and he made a way for you to have life again. Kind of a miracle. There were, you had no chance. Not one of you was good enough. Joshua even knew this. Listen to, listen to what Joshua say in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> he said all that stuff, and they were like, yes, of course, we're going to worship God. Uh, we're dumb, we're stupid, we're not worthy. All of this is foolish that we've been doing. We'll do it. He goes, no, you're not. You're not able to serve the Lord. He's holy. You still don't get it. He's jealous. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. You think by killing a cow that somehow that's going to make your heart change? You think by making a sacrifice that somehow you'll no longer be a sinful person? If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn to do you harm and consume you after having done you good. 
And the people said to Joshua, no, we won't serve. We will serve the Lord. But he knew they couldn't do it. See, Joshua knew something about the human condition. Are you with me? He knew that we were corrupt at the core. No matter what the worship looked like on the outside, no matter how they were dressed or how their hands were washed or what sacrifice they laid on the altar that day or that year or whatever it was, no matter what the aroma that got sent up, Joshua knew that the moment they walked away from this ceremony, this covenant renewal ceremony, that they were going to fall again. And I don't know that Joshua knew. I don't know how much God told Joshua. I don't know if he knew Jesus, but I know that he knew they needed Jesus. He knew that there would have to be a change from the inside, that there could never be enough sacrifices made on their part that it would change things. Are you with me? That eventually they would go back to serving false gods. So he said, no, you won't do it. He knew they needed grace. And God knew it too. <laughs> I love the new covenant where God goes, you know, this time I'm not just going to write it on tablets. I'm not going to write my laws on concrete. I'm going to put it in their heart. They're going to memorize it. It's going it's to change who they are. They're going to be a different person. Different person. David knew in Psalm 51, he said, I can't quit sinning, God. It's always there. It's always in front of me. He said, I love this, what he asked for. He said, God, give me a willing spirit. David was like, he didn't say, God, help me not look at women. He said, change the inside of me. Make, make my spirit, my soul, the stuff on the inside of me that my MRI doesn't show, make that different so that I'm willing to follow you total commitment in everything that I do. Jesus is the only one that can accomplish that on our behalf. You'll never, you'll never wake up enough days in a row confident in yourself that you would become the person God wants you to be. But man, if you'll wake up on your knees confident in Jesus, he will make you that person. You know it's true. How many of you have changed some since God saved you? Just stick to the program. Stick to the program. Wake up not, not excited about who you are, not thrilled about your spiritual growth. Wake up confident in Christ. He will continue to work. He's still working. I'm telling you, the kids' songs are the best songs. Y'all never know that song. To make me what I ought to be. You know, think. Took him just a week to miss stars. Yeah. Southern Baptist. What about this? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Amen? His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. It's not about our sacrifice. A gospel family worships together, not because God needs our worship, but because it shows our total commitment to him. And I guarantee you, when you worship God together as a family, it will make a difference to the families around you. They will see something different about you and your family. It's not about the fact that you go to church on Sunday morning. It's because you worship Him with your life every day of the week. Yeah. I can't wait 
to, to see how this community is impacted by true worshipers. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. They don't worship by uh, 100% attendance. Spirit and truth. Can we pray? God, over the almighty God, you are amazing. And as we talk about what a gospel family looks like over the rest of this month, Father, I pray that you would be in charge. Give us willing spirit in our heart. Change us from the inside out. Take the corruption away. Clean us from the inside, not just the outside. We want to praise you and and lift you up in song and poem because you are an awesome God. And even though our words fall short every time, we, we just love trying. But I pray that when we do that, our hearts are bowed in worship. Not just because we like the way that things sound or certain songs, but because you've changed us and because of what you've done and who you are, we want to lift up your name in praise. There is no other name even beside your name. Why would we steal your worship from you for foreign gods? Father, help us to serve you together as families. That we would set aside our pride, our comfort, that we would set aside the idea that somehow this world is about us and pleasing us and our satisfaction and we would serve those around us in need, serve our church families, serve those, our neighbors in our community, serve those across the world who've never heard the name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would give sacrificially to you. You've done so much for us. Everything we have is already yours. I pray that we would become people that it is our habit to give back to you first before we even decide what we need to do for ourselves. Not because you need it, but because we want to show you that we are totally committed to you in all ways. We love you, Lord, and we are so, so thankful for grace, for the blood of Jesus, making a way where there was no way. You are powerful. You are mighty to save. And you alone are worthy of worship, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen.